This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Brad Bush. North of Boston by Robert Frost. Part 4. The Fear. A lantern light from deeper in the barn shone on a man and woman in the door and threw their lurching shadows on a house nearby, all dark in every glossy window. A horse's hoof pawed once on the hollow floor, and the back of the gig they stood beside moved in a little. The man grasped a will. The woman spoke out sharply. Whoa! Stand still! I saw it just as plain as a white plate, she said as the light on the dashboard ran along the bushes at the roadside, a man's face. You must have seen it, too. I didn't see it. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. It was a face? Joel, I'll have to look. I can't go in. I can't, and leave a thing like that unsettled? Doors locked and curtains drawn will make no difference. I always have felt strange when we came home to the dark house after so long an absence, and the key rattled loudly into place seemed to warn someone to be getting out at one door as we entered at another. What if I'm right, and someone all the time? Don't hold my arm. I say it's someone passing. You speak as if this were a traveled road. You forgot where we are. What is beyond that he'd be going to or coming from at such an hour of the night, and on foot, too? What was he standing still for in the bushes? It's not so very late. It's only dark. There's more in it that you're inclined to say. Did he look like... He looked like anyone. I've never rest tonight unless I know. Give me the lantern. You don't want the lantern. She pushed past him and got it for herself. You're not to come, she said. This is my business. If the time's come to face it, I'm the one to put it the right way. He'd never dare. Listen. He kicked a stone. Hear that? Hear that? He's coming towards us. Joel, go in, please. Hark. I don't hear him now, but please go in. In the first place, you can't make me believe it's it is or someone else he sent to watch. And now's the time to have it out with him while we know definitely where he is. Let him go off and he'll be everywhere around us, looking out of trees and bushes till I shan't dare to set foot outdoors. And I can't stand it. Joel, let me go. But it's nonsense to think you'd care enough. You mean you couldn't understand his caring? Oh, but you see, he hadn't had enough. Joel, I won't. I won't, I promise you. We mustn't say hard things. You mustn't either. I'll be the one if anybody goes, but you give him the advantage with this light. What couldn't he do to us standing here? And if to see was what he wanted, why he has seen all there was to see and gone. He appeared to forget to keep his hold, but advanced with her as she crossed the grass. What do you want? she cried to all the dark. She stretched up tall to overlook the light that hung in both hands hot against her skirt. There's no one. You're so wrong, he said. There is. What do you want? she cried. And then herself was startled when an answer really came. Nothing. It came from well along the road. She reached a hand to Joel for support. 
The smell of scorching woolen made her faint. What are you doing round this house at night? Nothing. A pause. There seemed no more to say. And then the voice again. You seem afraid. I saw by the way you whipped up the horse. I'll just come forward in the lantern light and let you see. Yes, do. Joel, go back. She stood her ground against the noisy steps that came on, but her body rocked a little. You see, the voice said. Oh, she looked and looked. You don't see. I've a child here by the hand. What's a child doing at this time of night, out walking? Every child should have the memory of at least one long after-bedtime walk. What, son? Then I should think that you'd try to find somewhere to walk, the highway as it happens. We're stopping for the fortnight down at Dean's. But if that's all, Joel, you realize, you won't think anything. You understand? You understand that we have to be careful. This is a very, very lonely place. Joel! She spoke as if she couldn't turn. The swinging lantern lengthened to the ground. It touched. It struck it clattered, and went out. The Self-Seeker Willis, I didn't want you here today. The lawyer's coming for the company. I'm going to sell my soul, or rather, feet. Five hundred dollars for the pair, you know. With you, the feet have nearly been the soul. And if you're going to sell them to the devil, I want to see you do it. When's he coming? I half suspect you knew and came on purpose to try and help me drive a better bargain. Well, if it's true, yours are no common feat. The lawyer don't know what he is buying. So many miles you might have walked, you won't walk. You haven't run your forty orchids down. What does he think? How are the blessed feet? The doctor's sure you're going to walk again? He thinks I'll hobble. It's both legs and feet. They must be terrible, I mean, to look at. I haven't dared to look at them uncovered. Through the bed blankets, I remind myself of a starfish laid out with rigid points. The wonder is, it hadn't been your head. It's hard to tell you how I managed it. When I saw the shaft had me by the coat, I didn't try too long to pull away or fumble for my knife to cut away. I just embraced the shaft and rode it out, till I shut off the water in the wheel pit. That's how I think I didn't lose my head. But my legs got their knocks against the ceiling. Awful. Why didn't they throw off the belt instead of going clear down to the wheel pit? They say some time was wasted on the belt. Old streak of leather. Doesn't love me much because I make him spit fire at my knuckles, the way Ben Franklin used to make the kite string. That must be it. Some days he won't stay on. That day a woman couldn't coax him off. He's on his rounds now, with his tail in his mouth, snatched right and left across the silver pulleys. Everything goes the same without me there. You can hear the small buzz saws whine, the big saw caterwaul to the hills around the village as they both bite wood. It's all our music. One ought, as a good villager, to like it. No doubt it has a sort of prosperous sound, and it's our life. Yes, when it's not our death. You make that sound as if it wasn't so with everything. What we live by, we die by. I wonder where my lawyer is. His train's in. 
I want this over with. I'm hot and tired. You're getting ready to do something foolish. Watch for him, will you, Will? You let him in. I'd rather Miss Corbin didn't know. I've boarded here so long she thinks she owns me. You're bad enough to manage without her. And I'm going to be worse instead of better. You've got to tell me how far this has gone. Have you agreed to any price? Five hundred. Five hundred. Five. Five. One, two, three, four, five. You needn't look at me. I don't believe you. I told you, Willis, when you first came in. Don't you be hard on me. I have to take what I can get. You see, they have the feet, which gives them the advantage in the trade. I can't get back the feet in any case. But your flowers, man, you're selling out your flowers. Yes, that's one way to put it. All the flowers of every kind everywhere in this region for the next forty summers. Call it forty. But I'm not selling those. I'm giving them. They never earn them as much as one cent. Money can't pay me for the loss of them. No, the five hundred was the sum they named to pay the doctor's bills and tied me over. It's that or fight, and I don't want to fight. I just want to get settled in my life, such as it's going to be, and know the worst or best. It may not be so bad. The firm promised me all the shooks I want to nail. But what about your flora of the valley? You have me there, but that, you didn't think that was worth money to me. Still, I own it goes against me not f to finish it for the friends it might bring me. By the way, I had a letter from Burroughs, did I tell you? About my cypripedium, Reginia. He says it's not reported so far north. There, there's the bell he's rung. But you go down and bring him up, and don't let Mrs. Corbin. Oh well, well we'll be soon through with it, I'm tired. Willis brought up, besides the Boston lawyer, a little barefoot girl, who, in the noise of heavy footsteps in the old frame house, and baritone importance of the lawyer, stood for a while unnoticed with her hands shyly behind her. Well, and how is Mr.? The lawyer was already in his satchel, as if for papers that might bear the name he hadn't at command. You must excuse me. I dropped in at the mill and was detained. Looking round, I suppose, said Willis. Yes. Well, yes. Hear anything that might prove useful? The broken one saw Anne. Why, here is Anne. What do you want, dear? Come, stand by the bed. Tell me, what is it? Anne just wagged her dress with both hands behind her. Guess, she said. Oh, guess which hand? My, my. Once on a time, I knew a lovely way to tell for certain by looking in the ears. But I forget it. Er, let me see. I think I'll take the right. That's sure to be the right, even if it's the wrong. Come, hold it out. Don't change. A ram's horn orchid. A ram's horn. What would I have got, I wonder, if I had chosen the left? Hold out the left. Another ram's horn. Where did you find those? Under that beech tree? On the woodchuck snow? Anne looked at the large lawyer at her side, and thought she wouldn't venture on so much. Were there others? There were four or five. I knew you wouldn't want me to pick them all. I wouldn't, so I wouldn't. You're the girl. You see, Anne has her lesson learned by heart. I wanted there should be some there next year. Of course you did. You left the rest for seed. And for the backwoods woodchuck, you're the girl. A ram's horn orchid seed pod for a woodchuck sounds something like better than farmer's beans to a discriminating appetite. 
though the ram's horn is seldom to be had in bushel lots. Doesn't come on the market. But, Anne, I'm troubled. Have you told me all? You're hiding something that's as bad as lying. You ask this lawyer man, and it's not safe, the lawyer at hand, to find you out. Nothing is hidden from some people, Anne. You don't tell me that where you found a ram's horn, you didn't find a yellow lady's slipper. What did I tell you? What? I'd blush I would. Don't you defend yourself. If it was there, where is it now? The yellow lady's slipper. Well, wait. It's common. It's too common. Common? The purple lady's slipper's commoner. I didn't bring a purple lady's slipper to you. To you, I mean, they're both too common. The lawyer gave a laugh among his papers, as if with some ideas she had scored. I've broken Anne of gathering bouquets. It's not fair to the child. I can't be helped, though. Pressed in the service means pressed out of shape. Somehow, I'll make it right with her. She'll see. She's going to do my scouting in the field, over the stone walls and all along a wood, and by a river bank for water flowers. The floating heart, with small leaf-like heart, and at the sinus underwater a fist of little fingers, all kept down but one, and that, thrust up to blossom in the sun as if to say, You, you're the heart's desire. Anne has a way with flowers to take the place of that she's lost. She goes down on one knee, and lifts their faces by the chin to hers, and says their names, and leaves them where they are. The lawyer wore watch, the case of which was cunningly devised to make a noise like a small pistol when he snapped it shut at such times as this. He snapped it shut now. Well, Anne, go, dearie. Our affair will wait. The lawyer man is thinking of his train. He wants to give me lots and lots of money before he goes because I hurt myself. And it may take him I don't know how long. But put our flowers in the water first. We'll help her. The pitcher's too full for her. There's no cup? Just take them to the outside of the pitcher. Now run. Get out your documents. You see I have to keep on the good side of Anne. I'm a great boy to think of number one. And you can't blame me in the place I'm in. Who will take care of my necessities unless I do? A pretty interlude, the lawyer said. I'm sorry, but my train... Luckily, terms are all agreed upon. You have only to sign your name, right there. You, Will, stop making faces. Come round here where you can't make them. What is it you want? I'll put you out with Anne. Be good or go. You don't mean you'll sign that thing unread. Make yourself useful, then, and read it for me. Isn't it something I have seen before? You'll find it is. Let your friend look at it. Yes, but all takes time, and I'm as much in a haste to get it over with as you. But read it, read it, that's right, draw the curtain. Half the time I don't know what's troubling me. What do you say, Will? Don't you be a fool, you crumpling folks' legal documents. Out with it if you have real, any real objection. Five hundred dollars. What would you think, right? A thousand wouldn't be a cent too much. You know it, Mr. Lawyer. The sin is accepting anything before he knows whether he's ever going to walk again. It smells to me like a dishonest trick. I think, I think from what I heard today and saw myself, he would be ill-advised. What did you hear, for instance, Willis said. Now the place where the accident occurred, the broken one was twisted in his bed. This is between you two, apparently. Where I come in is what I want to know. You stand up to it like a pair of cocks. Go outdoors if you want to fight. Spare me. When you come back, I'll have the paper signed. Will pencil do? Well, then, please, your fountain pen. 
One of you hold my head up from the pillow. Willis flung off the bed. I wash my hands. I'm no match. No, and don't pretend to be. The lawyer gravely capped his fountain pen. You're doing the wise thing. You won't regret it. We're very sorry for you. Willis sneered. Who's we? Some stockholders in Boston? I'll go outdoors by gad and won't come back. Willis, bring Anne back with you when you come. Yes, thanks for caring. Don't mind Will. He's savage. He thinks you ought to pay me for the flowers. You don't know what I mean about the flowers. Don't stop to try now. You'll miss your train. Goodbye. He flung his arms around his face. The Woodpile Out walking in the frozen swamp one gray day, I paused and said, I will turn back from here. No, I will go on farther, and we shall see. The hard snow held me, save where now and then one foot went down. The view was all in line straight up and down of tall, slim trees, too much alike to mark or name a place by so as to say for certain I was here or somewhere else. I was just far from home. A small bird flew up before me. He was careful to put a tree between us when he lighted, and say no word to tell me who he was, who was so foolish as to think what he thought. He thought that I was after him for a feather, the white one in his tail, like one who takes everything said as personal to himself. One flight out sideways would have undeceived him, and then there was a pile of wood for which I forgot him and let his little fear carry him off the way I might have gone, without so much as wishing him good night. He went behind it to make his last stand. It was a cord of maple, cut and split and piled and measured, four by four by eight, and not another like it could I see. No runner tracks in this year's snow looped near it, and it was older, sure, than this year's cutting, or even last year's or the years before. The wood was gray, and the bark warping off it, and the pile somewhat sunken. Clematis had wound strings round and round it like a bundle. What held it, though, on one side was a tree still growing, and on one a stake and prop. These latter about to fall. I thought that only someone who lived in turning to fresh task could so forget his handiwork on which he spent himself, the labor of his axe, and leave it there far from a useful fireplace to warm the frozen swamp as best it could with the slow, smokeless burning of decay. Good Hours I had for my winter evening walk no one at all with whom to talk, but I had the cottages in a row, up to their shining eyes, in snow. And I thought I had the folk within. I had the sound of a violin. I had a glimpse through curtain laces of youthful forms and youthful faces. I had such company outward bound. I went till there where no cottages found. I turned and repented, but coming back I saw no window, but that was black. Over the snow my creaking feet disturbed the slumbering village street like profanation by your leave at ten o'clock of a winter eve. End of Part 4 End of Robert Frost, North of Boston Thank you for listening.